following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. Those were the old days. So all that to say is, I ended up going to a church that was teaching the Bible. And I'd never been to a Bible teaching church. And I started to read the Bible and I realized how real Jesus was. And then I made this biggest decision of my life, which is a decision to turn and follow him. And when I did that, and I prayed for him to be the Lord of my life, he started to do a radical new work on the inside of this heart of mine. He began to take away a heart of stone and and give me a heart of flesh. And like the song says, I once was blind, but now I see. Can anybody relate to that kind of process? Okay, so as a new believer, I'm starting to see things differently. But it didn't take long for me to observe that out of many believers, some seem to have a whole new level of life going on, and some didn't have quite so much life. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it to the fullest, abundant life. And I'm thinking, why does it seem that some believers are just trying really hard and struggling along, and others seem to have an outflow, if you will, an outflow of God's love. Why is that? And I didn't know why. And I was pretty stuck. I was committed to finding out. It was like, I need to crack the code. I need to figure out why some believers seem to have the life of Jesus coming out of them, and others are very well intended. They love God, but they're trying really hard, and they seem to be struggling in a different way. And so on this quest or this journey to figure out why some had the, the, this life flowing out of them, uh, I remember back, this is some 20, maybe five years ago, but Scott, who is maybe here or outside, gave me a book by Charles Stanley, The Wonderful Spirit-Filled Life. And I was reading the book. The book pointed to a scripture, the scripture we're looking at today. And it began to bring all new insight and revelation as to the reason why... Some believers have the life of Jesus flowing out of them, and others really don't seem to. Others are trying hard. This is not a judgment. It's not a critique. It's an observation that Jesus said, you will know them by their fruit. This is Jesus' word, talking about fruit is recognizable. Fruit is a display. Fruit is God's life on display through you and I that we can't make up on our own. And I wondered, what is the difference? And the answer is in this passage today. I would suggest to you that the answer Jesus lays out before us today, how you and I can live in the zone, how we can live in the sweet spot of God doing things through us so that they might be on display outside of us. And it's not about working any harder. It's about getting a little closer to Jesus. And he explains how this works I encourage you, if you're a note taker this morning, to take some notes because this passage changed my life. It changed my whole perspective on the kingdom of God and how it works and and how the life of Jesus can be on display in our lives. I didn't understand it, but then when I read this, I'm like, of course, Jesus lays it all out right here. Beautiful passage. It's John chapter 15. If you guys will turn there. Um, And this topic of Having God's life on display, the Bible uses the term fruit, just like a tree has fruit. The Bible has many passages about trees not bearing fruit and chop them down and trees having fruit. And 
Uh, the analogy is used with our life as well. Uh, Galatians 5 says that those who belong to Jesus, if we really belong to Jesus, it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, meaning that if we really belong to Jesus, there is an outflow. The Bible doesn't say just try harder to have faithfulness. Just fight a little bit more to get a little bit more self-control. It doesn't say that. It says if you belong to Jesus, then these are outflows of our life. So the issue is not fighting really harder or struggling more as much as it is, let's learn how to belong to Jesus a little more. Amen? Well, this passage begins to reveal all of this. If you're a note taker, the first thing to, to jot down, though, is that the abundant life that Jesus is talking about through the Bible should have evidence. They will know us by our fruit. The fruit if we belong to Jesus, there is an evidence. It doesn't matter if someone says, I know more Bible than you. I've been studying it for 40 years, and I can quote it. That's not what matters. That's good. Know the word. Get the word in you. Memorize scripture. Beautiful. The point is the display. And God is looking for children to be on display for his glory. God is looking for fruit. He always has been. The abundant life should have evidence. And the evidence is fruit. Well, in this passage, Jesus begins to lay out before us what the living in the sweet spot, you and I to live our life in the zone where God says, that is the zone where your life can be on display for me with a lot of fruit. However, he also says, if you're not in this zone that I'm explaining here, that Jesus is explaining, then you're not going to be on display bearing fruit. It's really straightforward, simple, but incredibly powerful. And I encourage you that later on this evening, you camp out with God on this passage. And you read it yourself later with your, with your underliner or your Bible uh, with a pen and say, God, you know, speak to me, unpack this a little more because it can change your life, your present, and your future. It starts out John chapter 15. Um, and Jesus says this, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. He starts out saying, I am the true vine. And why is he clarifying the true vine? Because the vine, by definition, means the life source. The life source. The vine is where all branches get their life from. It comes from the vine. But Jesus is like, I'm the true one. And he's saying that because there are counterfeits out there. There are counterfeit sources, alleged sources, where people will find life, where they will find a hope, where they will find a future, where they will find the peace, the joy, and these other things that the Bible is. And Jesus is like, no. <laughs> Jesus is like, I'm the true one. There is no other. Besides me, there's no other. I'm the true vine. You know, a couple of weeks ago, um, I went down to sign up for some insurance, and I looked up the insurance agent, went into the office, and was going over the, the premiums and stuff like that, and the lady said something really, really amazing. I was there with my son, and she says, oh, before you leave today, I said, something came up. I said, yeah, I'm a pastor, 
And she's like, oh, before you leave today, you must visit our shrine. I'm like, como? Shrine? Did you, did you say shrine? Yeah, our shrine. My son looks at me like, what's up? You know, he's, I'll, exp- I'll explain it yet later. The shrine. So when we're done with this, you know, we didn't do a lot of business, you know. But on the way out, I went to go look at this room. And this room was a shrine. It was a kneeler with some candles. This is in the business office, the insurance. This is the way some people roll. Four pictures on the wall. One I recognized. The other three I didn't. And I said, so tell me, who are these people here in your shrine? And she goes, oh, these are all the enlightened ones. There's four enlightened gurus. And one of them I recognize, Jesus the Christ. And I said, you know, I don't know about these other three, but that one I know quite well. And I have to tell you something about that one right there. Because that one categorically does not belong with any other. Because his own words say that I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one goes to the Father but through me. Outside of me, there is no other. I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last categorically It's not on the same level with any enlightened gurus. And I said, so if he says that, he's either lying or a lunatic and doesn't belong on your wall. Or, or, the other ones have to go away because he's the only one that belongs on the wall. Jesus the Christ. There's counterfeits all over the place. Jesus is like, I'm the true vine. I'm the true life source. And that's exactly what he is. I am the true vine. And because he's the true vine, the life source, he's saying people are either in me, attached to me, or they're not. Some would like to be attached, but really they're attached to other things. But Jesus is like, I am the vine. And, and, and if anyone wants to have life, you've got to be attached to the life source. There's no life outside the vine. Nothing can really live. Not really. There may be elements of pseudo uh, life or people pursuing things, but he's like, I'm the true vine. There's really no real life outside of that. And people have been searching for this all along. Jesus made many statements. He made seven I am statements. When Moses asked God, who are you by name? I know you're God, but no one knows your name. And if you're sending me back to Pharaoh and the Israelites to let my people go. I know you're the creator, but what is your name? Never before in the Bible has the name of God been revealed. It was Elohim, Adonai, the names of the Lord, God, you know, but not his name. And for the first time, God says, you want to know my name? I am, which is translated to the best of our ability, Yahweh. I am. I am who am. I always was, I always will be, I am. I'm your present God now. I was before anything and I will be after. I I am transcendent over every possible thing, but I'm also personal and I'm letting you know my name. I am. And Jesus comes along, who are you? He's like, I am. They're like, what? I am. I am the true vine. When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. You see where he's going with this? He's the true vine. He didn't stop there. The woman at the well said, who, who, who are you? He's like, I am a, I'm the living water. Because ma'am, 
You're pursuing things in life that you think you're going to find wholeness and purpose and direction and fulfillment and joy. And you, you happen to be pursuing it in relationships thinking if you just find the right guy, everything's going to be great. He's like, ma'am, you thirst. And your thirst will never, ever be quenched. Why? Because you're pursuing counterfeit life sources. I'm the vine. I'm the life source. I have living water for you, the kind that you'll never thirst again. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, I am the vine, I am the door, I am the living water. And Jesus goes on with all these revelations. He says that because he's the true one. And uh, he goes on and says the father, he's he's describing the relationship between the parties, if you will, that he is the true vine, no life outside of him. And the father is the gardener. And that means the father owns the garden. The father has been very good at gardens. In fact, the father's first appearance on the scene that we see in recorded scripture is the father created a garden for his creation, the first thing he did, and that the father walked through the garden in the coolness of the day. The father was the gardener from the very beginning. He owns the garden. And the gardener has one main objective, one main hope, one main desire of the gardener, and that is fruit. That's what a gardener wants. You ask any gardener that you know, maybe you have a garden yourself, maybe someone you know, what is your objective? What do you want? Why did you do all this? Why did you, what's the whole point here? And they'll say one thing, fruit. I want fruit. I want something productive out of this. So I will nurture, I will water, I will give it light, I will do anything I have to so that there's fruit that that comes out of this. So the Father's objective is fruit. And I think it's important to look at our mode of operation, our approach to life. If you and I are going to be in the zone, if we're going to live in the zone and we're not going to be caught up with any counterfeits, and we're really going to be in the sweet spot with the living God to be on display for his glory, then we have to take note of our second point this morning, that our purpose and design is to bear much fruit. It goes on in verse 8, not just to say fruit, much fruit. God wants you and me. The Bible says God wants you and me to bear much fruit, not a little bit, much fruit. But there's some good news coming up on that, some great news on this. But he wants us to bear much fruit. That's our purpose. That's our design. We were created in Christ Jesus. The Bible says the reason we're made, created in Christ Jesus, was to do good works that he established from the foundations of the world. God has design built in you that he expects to be on display. And if we'll walk with the true source of life, these displays will become more and more evident, not by working harder, by just walking closer with Jesus. There's the beauty. You don't have to work any harder. This isn't just get it down, just fight, just, just, just grunt your way through it. No, Jesus is not throwing another load on your back. He says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. But walk with me, yoke with me, take my yoke upon you. Jesus is like, I have a yoke I want to see walked out through the whole land. Would you, you want to yoke up with me? You don't have to. I'm not going to force you to, but if you want to, oh, there's life this way. There's fruit this way. There's display this way. If you want to do this, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Partner with me in the journey. Will you do that? And some have said, no way. I'll try my own thing. And like the woman at the well, they spend their life in circles, looking in pursuits 
for fruit and fulfillment and display of God's evidence, and it's not there. But Jesus said, if you partner with me, it's going to be a beautiful display. And this is where this goes, but our purpose and design is to bear much fruit. And because he's the gardener, the father prunes us. He prunes us. Now, Some of you are going to say, what was church about today? Pastor said we're all a bunch of prunes. No, we are not prunes, but we all get pruned. Okay, we all get pruned. And if you're not raised with any background, I didn't know what pruning was. I was from New York City. There's nothing to prune, you know. Um, I didn't know what pruning was, but it's a, it's a cultivation process. There's a cutting back process. And he, it says that God does this so that we can bear more fruit. This is important too, church. God has to prune because what happens by definition is when you cut away some things that are not bearing fruit. And even if God says they're bearing fruit, you're bearing fruit, but I want you to bear more. And the only way, and we see it displayed in nature as a perfect illustration, and Jesus says it right here in scripture in the red letters, is that the only way we're going to bear more fruit is even things in our life that are fruitful have to be trimmed back. And what happens when you trim back is the roots go down deeper and the roots go wider And guess what happens in the springtime? There's a straight up miracle because what looked like it was dead is on a glorious display. I'll never forget, um, we had this gardener and uh, he's one of those mow and blow guys, you know? Some guys are gardeners, they're really good at what they do. This guy was like mow and blow. Came home one day and the lawn was mowed and as I'm pulling up, I just noticed he was getting in his truck to drive away, but something alarming caught my attention. He had a chainsaw in his hand. He's walking back to his truck. He hangs it up and he drives away. And I'm sitting there going, chainsaw? There's nothing at my house to chainsaw. There's some grass. What was he doing with the chainsaw? So I'm I'm confused. I'm looking around going, what did he do with that chainsaw? And I looked and all of our roses, all of them were just hacked and cut down. I'm sitting there going, no way, honey, he killed the roses. He killed the roses with his chainsaw. Um, I'm like, God, we're just laying hands on the roses. God, bring them back again. Bring them back again. I mean, it destroyed, it looked like destroyed them. But people who have roses know you got to cut them back around wintertime so that the roots grow deeper and wider. And in the springtime, presto, they just pop. They're beautiful. It's a beautiful display. But it wouldn't happen if you didn't cut these things that it didn't go deeper. The good news God doesn't use the chainsaw method. That's the good news. He does not use the chainsaw method in your life and in my life. He is very careful. He's a a precision gardener. And he knows what areas of our life can bear more fruit. And so he's got to do this pruning. He's got to do this cutting away. And he's, he's been doing that for a while. It doesn't always feel good, but it is good for us. It's necessary for us to to bear fruit. The third point this morning is the Father is in the ministry of cultivating us. That's what the Father does. He is the the vine dresser is the older fashioned word for it. He's the gardener. He has to do the trimming back because he knows how much fruit you and I can produce if we get with him. He also knows that apart from him, there's not going to be any fruit. But he knows this, so he does this cultivating. And the question really is, will you let God cultivate you? That's a great question this morning. Will you let him? Will you and I partner with the living God in the cultivation process? 
Because some people might say, I ain't doing that. I'm not going to cold. I'm not going to. I don't want to get pruned. I don't want anything cut back. God's like, yeah, you don't realize that unless I can do this trimming, I want you to go deeper and wider. Like a tree, like a tree. If a tree is planted, sometimes a new tree, when it's put in the ground, the first thing you might find is all the leaves falling off. And the reason is it doesn't have the nourishment to do all the leaves right now. It's got to go deep and it's got to go wide. So the first big uh, windstorm that comes, it's not going to blow over. And then guess what? When it's got some substance and some roots and some nourishment, poof, everything on the top starts to grow. And it's been said that most trees, what you see above, the roots go equally as far under the ground. We don't appreciate the underground stuff. We just want to see the above ground stuff. But in the kingdom of God, God wants you and I to get deeper roots and go wider. And that's why he's cultivating God doesn't use the chainsaw. He's careful. He knows what's best. It doesn't feel great. It doesn't look great, but it is necessary. And no one likes to be pruned. I don't know anybody that like, yeah, I love when God cuts back stuff in my life. It's awesome. Uh, Nobody likes to be pruned. Uh, And there are seasons when maybe you feel like you're just a stub, like the chains, like the road. Maybe you feel like that. You're like, I don't know about you, but I ain't got nothing going on right now. I mean, I feel like it's all been cut back, you know? Sometimes there's a pruning going on where you feel like you might be a shrub or a stub and there's no beautiful display and all that was there maybe seemed to have vanished and you feel like there's not much left in you and you wonder if you'll ever produce anything worthwhile for God again. And all you could do is hang in there and know that the Father is cultivating you and he's cultivating us for the reason that there will be more fruit to come, more than before, more than ever before, because it's his heart, it's his design, and it's his will. Why? Because he wants to produce more fruit. So the fourth point this morning is that pruning, pruning is not punishment. It's preparation for the fruit to come. It's not punishment. Some people feel when there's a cutback on in our lives, you're like, why is God doing this to me? Right? Isn't that what we say? How many have said that? I've said it. Come on. How many have said that in the room? Why is God doing this to me? Why is God allowed? It feels like we're being punished. God, why are you doing this to me? How come this is happening to me? Why are you allowing this, God? God's like, because I love you and you're capable of more fruit if you work with me on this. Will you let me do a little pruning? Not chainsaw method. Cutting back with precision. Because if you let me, you're going to slow down. Your roots are going to go deeper and wider, you're going to connect with the true vine in a greater capacity, and there's going to be a glorious display in your life. You will get it later on, is what he would say. And I believe that's the case. I believe that's the way God operates. Moves on in verse 3 and says, You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, and if a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown in the fire, and are burned. The first thing I think that's noteworthy here, the first, there's a few great things, but he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. My question is, have we come to terms with that, honestly? I mean, have we really come to terms with that? Because I think there are so many well-intended people that try really hard 
to develop some sort of fruit in their life and work at self-improvement. And there's a lot of names for these things that you try to better yourself and, and, and do these things. The Bible says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. I found that to be true. Anybody else? Unless the Lord builds it, you're building in vain. Unless the Lord guards over the city, those who watch it, watch it in vain. It's not by strength or might, it's by the power of my Spirit, says the Lord. There's a principle throughout Scripture that He is greater and stronger and we need Him. And Jesus is saying, yes, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nada. Nothing that's going to last. The grass fades, the flower withers, but the Word of God will live on forever and the things that God does through us will live on forever. They'll have eternal value and they'll be on display and bear fruit. But we think sometimes, we keep forgetting thinking that we can bear somehow this kind of fruit on our own, that if we just got to get a better grasp on it, if we maybe get our aim better, if we, if we, if we work a little harder, there's going to be more fruit. And Jesus is like, you know, I love you so much, but I know you better than you know yourself. I understand the whole spiritual realm, invisible, everything past, present, future. All things were made by me, through me, and for me, he would say, the Bible says in Colossians, apart from me, you can do nothing. I mean, really take that to heart. Because when we don't, I think this is where we start getting off on the wrong road. Thinking that we're going to pull it off somehow. Somehow we're going to get it done. Got to get it done. I'm going to get it done. And Jesus says, stuff that's got to last? No. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We forget that. We forget that we, (laughs) we are just branches. He's the vine. He's the life source. A branch in and of itself can't do anything. Take any branch from the vine and just put it out there and lay it on your back porch and see what happens to it. Try it. Do your own experiment at home. Write your own thesis on what happens. What's your hypothesis on that one? Cut off the branch, throw it out there, and observe it for a week. Nothing. It's going to die. Why? Because there's no life outside of the vine. And we forget, sometimes have an identity crisis, we forget that we're, we're just branches. We're not the vine. We're not the life source. He is. And branches aren't expected to do this on their own. And Jesus is trying to tell us this. Apart from us, you can do nothing. The job of the branch is simply to be an extension for the vine, to be connected to the vine so the vine's nourishment can flow and be on display. That's our job. And yet sometimes we disconnect thinking that we're going to pull something off very well intended But you and I were never designed to produce this kind of spiritual fruit. We weren't designed to. We were only designed to put his nourishment on display. Does that make sense? That's what a fruit does. That's what a branch does, excuse me. We only receive life and we hold it out to be on display. And we don't have to decide what kind of fruit to produce. I love that. You and I don't have to decide. I think I want to produce oranges and apples and, you know, I want to produce, you know, spiritual fruit like we don't have to decide that if you and I lock with Jesus and stay connected with him, that the fruit that he wants, the life of Christ in us will be on display. We don't actually pick the fruit. I love it. So whatever is in the vine will come out of us. And when a branch tries to function as a vine, it can be very frustrating. And I think, excuse me, in all honesty, I think we've all done that. I think we've all tried to play the role of the vine a little bit. Anybody else in the room? Where we try to pull it off, produce a little fruit, you know, get something going here. And I think that's well intended, but I think God would say, uh, come to terms. Apart from me, you could do nothing. We were never called to be a vine. 
We were never asked to be. We're not expected to be. We're expected to be a branch and let him be the, be the vine. And the key to all of this, the key to everything, the summary, really, of how you and I go from not living in the zone to living in the zone, how we go from not bearing any fruit on display for God to bearing fruit, to go from trying in our own strength, trying to pull it off, to letting God do things through us. It comes down to one key phrase that Jesus states in this passage. In fact, he says it 11 times in 11 verses to make sure that we really get it. This is the answer. This is the golden key. This is a key to the kingdom of God. And when you hear one of these things, you want to take a key like this and put it on your key ring. You ever see janitors? They walk around, they got the key ring to the whole campus. They can open any door. This is a key to the kingdom of God. And this is one of the keys that you want to go, wow, 11 times, 11 verses. It's the whole key to living in the zone. Yeah, I think I want to hold on to that one. I don't want to forget it. I'm putting it on my key ring. And Jesus says, you want to know how? I'm going to tell you how. I'm going to tell you 11 times in a row so that we really get it. And uh, the word is abide. Everybody say abide. One more time. Really loud. Abide. Abide. Some translations say remain in me. If you just not work harder, not try harder, if you just abide in me, if you just remain in me, if you learn what that means to remain and abide in me, if you just do that, then all these things are going to be a natural outflow. But if you don't, there really can't be any fruit because outside of me, we can do nothing is what he would say. Remain. Some translations say, stay with me. Jesus is like, would you stay with me? In other words, don't run ahead of me and don't be way behind me. Would you walk with me? Literally, would we walk with Christ? Will we get up in the morning and walk with Christ in your marriage, in your singleness, on the job, in the workplace? Years ago in the 80s, the Dodgers were in a World Series. Great pitcher, Oral Hershiser was pitching for him. And they noticed the camera would pan over to him once in a while. He'd be in the dugout in between innings, pitching an amazing game. But he'd just sit there, he'd have his eyes closed. Calm as can be, all the guys are chewing gum, spitting stuff up at the fence. You know, it's World Series, biting their fingernails. Just over there, his eyes closed. So after winning the series, they, they go on and they, he's on Johnny Carson. And they say, what? They're showing clips of, how can you be in this game that's like the pinnacle of your life? And you're over here in the, Dug out, just, what were you thinking? He goes, I was just, I was just praying and, and worshiping God. Really? In the middle of a World Series game with the camera zoomed in on you? Camera zoomed in on you for the whole world to see. That's what you, yeah. Why was he doing that? Because he knows apart from me, you can do nothing. He goes, I want to remain in him. Even though it's the, the workplace environment, even if it's what I do, it's my sport, my whatever, my job, my, I want to remain in him because if I can just remain in him and abide in him, he's going to do all the rest. And I love that testimony. It's the same for you and I. This is so key. Walk with me. Stay in communication with me. It's a choice and a commitment. The last point this morning. In fact, this would be great if the worship team comes up on this note. Uh, the key to the abundant life is abiding. It is remaining. And I would ask you this morning, if you would make your own personal life commitment to spend time with God and ask him, Jesus, show me how to abide in you. Show me how to remain in you. Show me what this looks like because I want that life. I want your fruit to be on display. 
but show me what it looks like. He'll begin to show you what it does look like and what it doesn't look like. And what he wants is more fruit. We will be a greater display for the glory of God and you will love every minute of it. Because when Jesus wants to live life through you and be on display, there is really nothing better. It's really nothing better than that. Um, Remain in me, he says, and I will remain in you. Here's another, just a closing note. If you remain in me, I will remain in you. It's like, this is contingent upon this. You know how you go to school, like in college, you might have a class, there's a prerequisite. Like you can't take that, even if you want to. Sorry, you have to do this first, right? It doesn't matter if you want to, you can't. You have to take this. Jesus is like, I got a contingency for you. It's, it's a simple one. If you remain in me, I will remain in you. No doubt about that, no matter what you're going through. If you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. So we have to take some ownership on our part. It's not working harder. It's really surrendering more. Surrender is not work. Surrender is just the heart condition of surrender to God. And if you want my life to flow out of you, Jesus would say, you do your part and I'll do mine. Jesus would tell us this morning, would you just be a branch? (laughs) Would you just be a branch? He's not asking us to be any more than a branch. Would you just be a branch for my glory? And the fruit will be the light of Christ, the life of Christ coming out of us. Uh, just in closing, to, we've talked about what abiding is, abiding in Jesus, walking with him, remaining with him, staying with him, staying in his word, if my word abides in you. So be in the word. Start devouring it. Camp out with Jesus. Spend time at his free, feet. Get in the word, and the word will get in you. These are contingencies, because when you get in the word, you begin to reap what you sowed, which is getting into the heart of God when you get into his word. He's the author of this. And so there's a whole new dimension of abiding him and producing fruit. But but apart from that, uh, what will happen naturally is we'll get filled with other sources if we're not getting filled with the Lord, spending time with him, filled with the spirit. Um, Not abiding, here's what not abiding is. Not abiding is when we're walking in the flesh. We're walking in the total natural reaction. God's like, yeah, I know that's natural, but I'm calling you to the supernatural, not to the natural. And if you're going to roll that way, there can't be any fruit on display. There's no fruit on display in the natural. It's walk with me, and in the supernatural, you bear the fruit. It's not abiding in our own feelings. You hear that? It's not abiding in your own feelings. No one, nowhere in the scripture did he tell the apostles, Just do what you feel. He didn't say, if you feel that way, that's how you are. Stay that way. He never even brought up that. He's like, no. He says, renew your mind. Put on the mind of Christ. Turn, follow me. I don't know what you're thinking over there, but that'll get you in trouble. Some of that, the Bible says, is the fiery darts of the enemy. Shooting ideas and thoughts. And the Bible says, those we have to take captive, casting them down, and making every thought obedient to Christ. Why? Because the enemy loves to hijack and counterfeit the processes of God. And he's done it all along. Even in the original garden, where God was the gardener, the enemy lied, and the lie wasn't taken captive and cast down. It was held onto and thought about and wondered and pondered, and then God's word was questioned, and the rest is history. God is just telling us here, if we're choosing to walk in our feelings and our own understanding, there won't be any fruit in that. And so the conclusion this morning is that if you want to live in the zone, if you really want to live in the zone, make it your life commitment to learn. I'm learning. I'm committed to this as a life process. I don't have this down. 
But I am committed to learning what it's like each day to abide more in Jesus the Christ, to remain in him, to learn from him, to sit at his feet, because outside of that, there is no life. Everything else is conjured up. And I believe the Lord wants us to know this morning because he is calling everyone in this room to a greater level of display for his glory. You're not here this morning by happenstance or accident or just freak of nature. You're here this morning, I believe, because God called us to be in this place. And I believe God's calling us to a deeper intimacy with him because all of this stems from intimacy. When you talk about being intimate with God, it's amazing that he's this transcendent, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present God who is manifest on earth through his son, Jesus, and yet so very personal, so very personal that he wants us to walk with him and talk with him every day. And everyone in the room is in a different place when it comes to intimacy and relationships. And some in this room might have some fear of intimacy, maybe from past experiences, and maybe a fear that if you get too close to God or too close to Jesus or too intimate with your creator, that maybe something's going to happen you don't want. And there's a reluctance to do that, and you want to hold the wheel a little bit tighter. Why do I know that? Because I was that guy. I was that guy, and I hijacked God's process. I prolonged his process for a good five or seven years where God was calling me to a deeper intimacy relationship. And I'm like, no, it's cool. I'm good right here. I love you. I respect you. Me and you, God, we're good. I'm good right here. And I was reluctant to go over this intimacy line with God. And I know I'm not alone on that. Many people, because of life and circumstances and what we've been through, there's a line in the sand. I want to tell you, he's telling you this morning the same thing he told me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. There is no life outside of me. I'm the true vine, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, I'm the door, I'm the living water. If you drink from the water I have, you'll never thirst again. So we're going to close in prayer, but I want to ask that God would seal some of these things in our heart this morning. And uh, mighty God, I, I thank you for the, your word and I thank you for the power of it, God. I, I first want to pray this morning for uh, some here that have a respect for you and honor you, but really there hasn't been a day of surrender, a day where... We got off the throne and put you on the throne. A day that you literally become what the Bible says is the Lord of our life, which means the king of our universe, personally the king of our universe. Not just that you're the creator of the general universe, but you're the personal ruler of our world, of our life. That is a day in history that happens that each one of us need to make. We can't say we were born that way. We can't say God's always been my king. There's a day that when we're at the age of understanding old enough to be responsible, that we say, yes, God, I choose this day who I will serve, and it's going to be you. I ask, Lord, that today there would be breakthrough in some lives, in some new levels of intimacy with you, and it would begin with decisions to make you the King and the Lord. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages, or to support future podcasts, please visit valleymetrochurch.com.